Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Second City. If this is your first time or um, uh, one of your first times with us, uh, my name is Jez. I'm one of the elders and, and pastors here at uh, Second City. Great to have you uh, with us uh, this morning. Um, well, let me just explain a little bit what we, we do. We love the Bible, Second City, and we believe the Bible speaks to us. And so what we do is we set some time aside each week for us to be studying God's Word together and seeing what it's saying to us, seeing what it means in its context, and then seeing what it means to us now. And then we, provide, then we have some time to talk through what are some of the implications for that. So my, my goal is to speak for about 25 minutes, um, and uh, then we'll have um, you know, 15 to 20 minutes discussions around the table so we can sort of process through uh, God's Word uh, together. And sometimes we preach through books, so it's like, you know, a book of a Bible, so maybe uh, it could be, you know, Matthew's Gospel or a, a letter called maybe a letter to the Ephesians, and we just work our way through it. Other times we go through series, and we're, uh, where, we, where it's more themed, and we're taking um, a sort of more of a broad perspective of what the Bible teaches out about a particular subject, and that's what we're doing at the moment. We are in a series called The, the Father's Heart, and what we've been asking is this, what is deepest on, on the heavenly father's heart? What does he most desire? And we discovered through looking through Revelation 21 that Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. So we discover that one of the things that's on, on the deepest thing of, of, of God's heart is, is that he wants to engage with this world and he wants to make the things that are broken, the things that have become undone because of sin, the things that are fractured, relationships uh, between uh, one another, relationships within, uh, relationships in terms of maybe business, maybe the way in which we live together in this world. He, he wants to, to make them new. He wants to replace them. He wants to change them. Um, he, wants to, he wants for some of the bigger issues in our society to change and to ultimately be, be wiped away, as we read again in Revelation, that in, in the time where he makes a new heaven and new earth, all these things will be wiped away. So he's against injustice. He, he wants to see justice being brought in this world. You might describe it elsewhere in the Bible, in Matthew where he says, you know, the kingdom of God has come, and we know the kingdom of God is coming. So we've got this kind of kingdom now, kingdom future, and what we're seeing is this progressive kingdom where God's people are engaging in the world to bring about something of what's going to be fully seen in the kingdom to come. So, again, injustice. God hates domestic violence. God wants his people and his church to engage in such a way that people who are trapped in, 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 in that situation um, can receive help and support and encouragement and know that they're, 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 they're loved. God hates um, modern slavery. He, he wants the church, his people, to engage in some of these issues where uh, people who are trapped, where we go uh, to help and to engage and to get, come alongside those who are in those difficulties. He, he hates break, uh, relationship breakdown. He hates it when we argue one with another. Uh, he wants to restore that. And one of the words that... It comes, is in the Bible, is this word shalom, which essentially means peace. It's kind of an, an equity, it's like a completeness, um, a, a kind of stillness in God. And so his plan is that the whole earth 
will uh, be covered with his glory, with his presence. And the net effect of that will be that everything will be in shalom. Everything will be in peace. Everything will be in balance. And everything will be um, fixed again. So those things that were broken would become fixed. And then we started to say, okay, we see this big picture uh, in, in your word. Okay, what's, what does he want for us? And we discovered three things. Uh, we, we discovered it in the, the great commandment, in the great compassion, and then the great commission. The first one is he wants all nations, every tribe, every nation, every tongue to love him. Our God is a God of love. He's, he is a God of justice. That's one of the ways in which he expresses his love. But he's a God of love. He loves his people. He's personal to his people. He wants people to know his personal love towards them. And he wants them, because uh, of experience, his love for them, that they will come to love him. And they described as loving him with all our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with all our strength. So every facet of our being, God wants us to love him. Why? Because he knows that when we love him, that we will be content. God made us that way. He made us to be in relationship with him. And being in relationship with him, we knew ourselves. You know, we know who we are. Uh, we, we, we know that we are fully loved. We, 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 we know um, who we are as it relates to other people. We, we know what he, he desires for us. Um, so he wants us to love him because he knows it brings peace in our, in our, in our lives. The second thing that we discovered is that, that he wants not just to keep that keep his love to ourselves, but we, that we are to go and love other people. Radically, sacrificially, going to love other people. Not just a, a mere kind of faint touch, a kind of, um, um, what would you say? Um, so, um, you know, a slight kindness towards other people, but a radical deep love that is sacrificial. And we see this in the person of Christ, that Christ wants us to imitate him, that he gave his life up for other people. So it's a kind of love that gets so deep, so down and on the ground, that doesn't mind being trodden on as long as it lifts other people up. So we engage in our culture in such a way that it might cost us something. Um, it might cost us time, it might cost us, relation, it might cost us um, space in our, in our house, it might it cost us money. But we, but we sacrificially say, hey, look, we want to work for the good of this city. We want to good, work for the good of our neighbours. We want to work for the good of our colleagues. We want to work for the good of our fellow students or our Christian union or our university. And what we're going to do is we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and, and, and live out that sacrificial love that he has for us. And we want to love other people that way. And then finally... Last week, we looked at this idea that God wants us to go out and tell other people about this. And that would be called making disciples. That means that would be the, the idea of telling other people about what God wants for them. And there's this call on our lives not just to keep it to ourselves. See, what God is doing is utterly compelling. There, there isn't a vision for life that is more compelling of what, than what Jesus is doing. And there isn't a more compelling vision for our lives. We think, well, what do I want to give my life to? What do I want to be the sum total of my life after my life comes to the end? Well, the way in which we engage and love other people, the way in which we leave our mark in other people's lives, the way in which we leave our mark in this society, the way in which we love one another is the life that's worth living. Yes, he's going to call us into different places, into different workplaces. Um, uh, but wherever we are, 
Whether we're at home, with our family, uh, whether we are at our work or in our neighborhood, God wants to use us in such a way that other people will see his glory. That means his beauty, his, his wonder. That other people will be amazed, saying, look at Jesus. Isn't he the king, the savior that we all want? Isn't he the one that we trust? Isn't he the one in which we want to put our hope in? Because the Bible says that the only hope for our world is in Jesus. But the question comes down, like, how do we do that? Like, I know myself <laughs> reasonably well. And I know that as I'm just talking about those three things, I'm instantly thinking of all the like, uh, things I haven't done to, to live in that way. Uh, I'm, I'm instantly thinking about all the, all the times where I've, I've, I've been selfish. Uh, I'm instantly thinking about the, the times, even in this, these last couple of days, where I've preferred myself over other people. And in one sense, it could be overwhelming, couldn't it? I've got to love God with all my heart, with all my strength. I've got to live sacrificially for God. I want to go out and make disciples. And we could feel this great burden, this great pressure to, to do so. But what I want to draw out today is that God is giving us a power to be able to do this. Now, when I first put this sermon in the series, I, I, my mind went through, I'm going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in this last week, as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking, well, no, I, I want to draw out maybe three powers in our lives. They're not like separate in, in, in the sense of um, that they don't combine together or they don't work together. So don't see these as three totally separate things. But I want to talk to you today about the power of the cross, the power of his word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That every Christian, if, if we want to live the life that God wants us to live, then we are going to need to be people that live by the power of the cross, the power of his word, and the power of his spirit. I was trying to think of an analogy to describe how these fit together. And the problem is there's no analogy that really works. But I was thinking about this idea of electricity, like a, like a power that we, we have. Um, and you know, every power has a source. So if you think about an atom, you know, when you have a, um, nuclear fusion, then it's the splitting of that atom that produces the power. Well, I want you to see the cross as the place where that atom has been split open for all those who believe in him. Yeah? That the cross is something, when it happened, it released such an amazing wave, an wave, amazing explosion of power that it... That it impacted instantly the whole world. You ever seen those movies where, you know, um, something cosmic happens, it's like, and you see this like wave of, you know, uh, smoke going out. Well, the cross was that moment in human history. And particularly in terms of its effectiveness for all who believe, it's the source of which every other power becomes available to them. So sometimes we think, oh, well, we come to know Jesus through the cross and then we follow him by the spirit and his word. And the answer is, of course, we follow him by the spirit and by the word. But we are cross-centric people. We are cruciformed people, which means that everything about our lives needs to be formed and informed by the cross itself. We never graduate past the cross. We stay at the foot of the cross. We stay at the place where Jesus died for our sins and a secured for us life. That means everything. 
So everything that we're going to get next comes from that cross. Every bit of life that comes into us, any change of character, any change of blessing in our lives comes from the cross. Any ability to overcome sin comes from the cross. The ability to forgive others comes from the cross. We, we never move past the cross. It's like that atom being split. I read when I was researching this, it said that the atom, um, when it's sort of split, can do two things. It can be a steady generation of energy in the form of heat or an explosion. And I think like the cross is both of those at the same time. It was an explosion when we first came to know him. Bang, everything changed in our lives in an instant. But then it's just that steady generation of heat in the Christian's life. That is why we're encouraged to daily come before the cross. That we could, should, you know, deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow him. We take that cross with us everywhere. We, get, we, we take his death, his life, his death and his resurrection with us everywhere we go. Because that is the only way in which we are able to live this new life that he's secured for, for us. Just a couple of scriptures just to help us think about this power uh, Romans 8, 20, uh, 27 says this. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The him is Jesus. Through him who loved us. And then Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So the picture here is this, that when we are united with Christ, when he died, he died in our place as our substitution. So his death was our death. So I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That means the old person that we were, that, that we no longer live in the same way. That person now is dead. And through the cross, a new life has been born in us. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The cross was that release of power for, for the believer's life. We're told we can do nothing without him. So we cling to the cross. In a more cosmic sense, it was the cross that brought about the change and the renewal of all things. When Jesus says, I'm making all things new, it's because he died on the cross that he's able to say, I will make all things new. Because the power of, of death was broken. The chains of sin were, were torn apart. And now the creation can come into new birth. And we can come into new birth because of what Jesus did on the cross. It was a cosmic event, both for humanity and the whole of creation. And so we constantly go back to the cross as our hope. My hope is in Jesus' death. You know, I want to be, uh, be generous to my work colleague that I'm really struggling with. I go to the cross and I say, Jesus, thank you that you were kind to me on the cross, that you didn't treat me as my sins deserve. And because I've received that now, I want to take that blessing and I'm able to know, because I no longer need to live for myself, I can now live for the benefit of your kingdom. I can love this person even though I find them difficult to, to love. And oh Jesus, you know, you know, you, know, you know all the bills that I've got, Jesus. You know all the, the things I've got to pay. You say, okay, but, I, but this person here, they, they, they need something and we've got it. I'd love to, Lord, help me bless them. You blessed me at the cross. 
You gave, you, you, you gave me uh, every spiritual blessing we're told in Ephesians is given to us at the cross. Every spiritual blessing. Now because you bless me, I can willingly bless and not count it as loss, but count it now as gain. Do you see how the cross just changes everything that we do? Yes, we're going to discover we do it as the word informs us and as the spirit empowers us. But we can't, we don't put the cross to one side and say it's all spirit now. No, it's the cross at work in us. It's the power of the cross that changes us. Here's just a few things really, really uh, quickly because I'm I'm, going to run out of time. Uh, The power of the cross ransomed us. It brought us back, we're told, in, in Colossians. It says this, uh, he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and, and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He ransomed us. He brought us back. The indebtedness was paid. The power of the cross forgives us. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That's from the letter through Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. So the power of the cross forgives us. The power of the cross res- reconciles us. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, is in Christ the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The power of the cross freed us. Revelation 1 verse 5, And from Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Galatians 5 verse 1, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And finally, the power of the cross sanctifies us. Which is Hebrews 10, it says this, And by by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. there's more. You can go to the Bible, you can exhaust this yourself. But just to be clear, all this work that God is doing in the believer and in the life of this world comes because of the cross. Let me move on then to the the word. Listen to what um, the writer of Hebrews says about the word. He says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. If the cross is like, and again, these analogies are poor, um, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm boxing things in here. Uh, if, if the power of the cross is like the splitting of the atom, the word is like the laws of physics and nature that govern how things work. So we go to the Word and we discover how life comes to us. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. Or it declares something that is true over us that we need to believe in. And when we believe in Him through faith, life comes to us. Does that make sense? So it's setting forth. 
You might view it like this in a, in a different analogy. If electricity you know, is uh, you know, created in a power station, then the lines which take it to its source, to you, um, that's like the word of God. You know, it governs the way it gets to, to, to you. But I want you to think about this idea of words. You know, we, we think words, we hear words, we speak words, um, we write words, uh, we read words. Words are really powerful in our, in our lives. And it's no different in, in Christianity, that there's power, we're told, in God's word. God spoke and it came to be. So everything that came to be, came to be because God spoke. And God's written word is him speaking to us. It's also uh, described to us that God's word is inseparable from his character, from who he is. So to, to, to love God is to love his word because he's expressed himself in the words of, words of God. That they are um, inerrant, sufficient and powerful for our lives. And that we're called to be people who live by the, the word of God. Not only that, we were told that when Jesus came and entered into human history, he lived by God's word. He, he kept God's word, we're told, in John 8. He preached God's word, we're told, in Mark 2. The Father gave Jesus words and Jesus gave them to his followers and his followers received them, we're told, in John 17. So when we think about God's word, we are thinking about God himself. And he is describing to us who he is, what he's done and what he's going to do and how he wants us to interact with him. But there's power. There is power in his word. Think about some of the stories we, we see where things are changed, where the kingdom of God breaks in in the Bible. Jesus speaks and he casts out demons with a word. That happens in Matthew 8, 16. He merely has to say a word and somebody is healed. You can find loads of accounts in the Bible where he just speaks and it happens. There's a time where he speaks and he's not even there. He says, it, I don't even need to come. Sometimes you see Jesus laying on a hand on somebody. Sometimes he said, I don't even need to come. It's done. Because when he says something, it is. And he always speaks according to his character. Jesus' words, we're told, are life and spirit. We're told that... They are the words of eternal life in John 6, uh, 63. Jesus' words dwell and abide in those who are united with him and who abide in him. We're told that those who hear and keep Jesus' word receive blessing and eternal life. Um, and even in terms of just like the way in which people interacted with Jesus, uh, it was said of him that people hung on every word that he said because he spoke with power and authority. So the Bible, it has the same power and authority in our life. If we want to know what is good and right, if, if we want to know how to live, we live according to his word. Psalm 139 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's the thing that leads us and guides us and helps us. When we believe in his word in faith and we put it into practice, the power of God is released into our lives. If, if you're struggling in a situation that you don't seem to have victory in, where do we go? Yes, we can ask the Holy Spirit, help me in this. That's, that's one thing that we need to do. But we also turn to his word and we speak truth over our lives. Yeah, 
truth that now can be effective because of the cross, these words are true to those who believe in the cross. As in like they, they're, true to, they're true for everybody, but they're true in terms of their promises for us. So if it says, resist the devil and he will flee, that's true because the cross has done something. We believe in the cross. We're going to believe in that word and we say, okay, you can give me the power to resist sin because I know it's true. And what will happen? Satan will flee. Okay, I do not need to be worried or anxious about anything. Why? Because he said in his word, if I resist the devil, he will flee from me. The word of God is power in our lives. It's his laws, it's his promises, it's his wisdom, it's his truth poured out for us so that we might understand what he desires from us and what he promises to us. So the cross is that explosion in our lives, that constant steady state of power coming out to us. The word of God is um, the, the natural laws by which that power will take root in our lives. We say, okay, we'll follow your word because we know it's true. And if we do this, then we know that this is what you promise to us. Then finally is the power of the Spirit. That we need to be people who live by the power of the indwelling Spirit. Jesus, when he leaves his disciples, he said on one occasion, just before, after his resurrection and before his ascension, he was eating some food with them. Um, and he gave them this commandment. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. J.C. Rowell, who is a, um, a, a 19th century theologian and pastor, wrote these words about the need for the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit over the church. He says, finally, pray daily for the outpouring of the Spirit on the church and the world. This is the grand need of the day. It is the thing that we need far more than money, machinery, and man. We need more of his presence of the Holy Spirit, more in the pulpit, more in the congregation, more in the pastoral visits, more in the school. Where he is, there will be life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. Where he is not, all will be dead, tame, formal, sleepy, and cold. Let everyone who desires to see an increase in the pure and undefiled religion Pray daily for more of the presence of the Spirit in each and every branch of the visible church of Christ. Jesus told us that we will be people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, again, this is just me trying to work out how to explain this. So again, it's not the greatest analogies in the world But it's almost like the Spirit is the agent that mediates all the power of the cross and all the Word of God in our lives. It's transmitted through His presence in our lives. He's the one who who brings it to bear in our our lives. Um, We think of the Spirit. You know, we're told that we need to be born of the Spirit. We're, We're told that we need to be 
filled by the Spirit. We're told we need to, be, to walk or be led uh, by, by, by the Spirit. We're told that the Spirit will um, empower us. We're told that the Spirit will work in our lives to glorify us, to make us more like Christ and complete that, that work. So he emulates Christ, um, sorry, illuminates Christ, and he illuminates our mind to understand the word so that we can have a vision of what he wants to do. Does that make sense? The Spirit is always pointing to Christ. You want to know what the work of the Spirit in your life is? You say, trust, trust in the power of the cross. Yeah. Oh, Holy Spirit, you know, help, 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 me, um, help me to, sh- to have a, the right attitude toward the big, big issue seller I, who I think just wants to take the money and spend on drugs. Give me the right attitude, you know. The Spirit's going to say, yeah, look on the cross. The cross will show you the right attitude to have. Jesus died so that people might be lifted up from their sin. Don't have anger towards them. Have compassion. Have grace. Do you see how the cross comes and the Holy Spirit challenges you? He always takes us to to the cross and he always takes us to the word which tells us the effects of the cross in, in in, in in our lives. I've run out I've run out of time. But just three simple works that we can see that the Spirit does in our lives. And I won't have time to really unpack these very, very long. But he justifies us, which means that he declares us righteous. And that we, we know that we're his because the Spirit resonates with us. He, he applies it to, to our lives. He makes us right before God. He, he regenerates us, which really means rebirth. That every work of the rebirth from the beginning to the end of glorification is the Spirit's working in us yes as we believe in the word as we trust in the cross but then the spirit takes it and he applies it to our lives and he makes it come to be and then that work of sanctification which is the the reclaiming of the and the restoring of the image of God in our lives all of that is a work of the Holy Spirit we, we can't do it ourselves it's a, it's a spiritual work does that make sense we can believe it we can put our faith in it we can act on it but when we do that that's when the spirit works to work it in us he does the work in us. Just a couple of examples of that then. Is that the Holy Spirit enables us to say no to the flesh and yes to Christ. That I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the, the desires of the, of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. You are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And then another example is that the Holy Spirit is the one that produces godly character in us. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, which is the old part of us, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's just a couple of examples of the way in which the Holy Spirit just works in our lives. One of the great verses, which I think should help and encourage the believer in the task of saying, how do I live for you? Um, is... The verse where we're told that it's the same power. We sang the song. It's the same power that lives in us that raised Jesus 
from the dead. It says, as if him, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Okay, I've run out of time. Let me just wrap this up together then. As we think about living in such a way that we bring glory to God, living in such a way that the kingdom of God comes, by what power are we told to live by? We're told to live by the power of the cross. We never leave the cross. We stay at the cross, we cling to the cross, we say, everything I have now is only going to happen because of what you've done. I'm going to keep on going to that place of grace. I'm going to keep on going to that place of forgiveness. I'm going to keep on going to that place of reconciliation. I'm going to keep on going to that place of identity, which is the cross. That's what defines me. I am Christ's. I'm a Christian because of the cross. And then we say, okay, how do we live out every, everything that comes um, from, from the cross? Well, I'm going to live according to his word. I know that if I believe him, I believe his word. And as I put my faith in his word, I know that the power of the cross will become effective for me. And how does that, that power of the cross become effective in me? Well, it's by the power of the Spirit. I'm, I'm going I'm to trust the Spirit. I'm going to ask the Spirit to dwell in me. I'm going to help the Spirit to lead me. I'm going to ask the Spirit to walk, to help me walk according to his ways. I'm going uh, to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what will apply the truth of who he is. So we, walk, so we live by the power of the cross, the power of the word, the power of the Spirit.